Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining us again this week on the program and thank you so much for your encouraging cards and letters as we are in uncharted waters with things that we are teaching. Uh, once again, I say that without a doubt, uh, eschatology or the study of last things is probably one of the most divisive things. Um, some of these subjects can be divisive, let's put it that way. So uh, we simply put the things out that we're sharing to give you a uh, ability to kind of think for yourself and to search the scriptures, see whether these things are so or not. I think that the argument that we are giving is certainly probably to many of you a new view, but I believe if you really look at it, you can see it in the context of scripture. But I want to say again how appreciative we are of your cards and your letters and your support to this ministry. It has really encouraged me to continue to dive on out here into these deep waters because we thought, uh, you know, we really tested the waters to see what kind of response we would get in sharing some of the things uh, that we are sharing. We believe the Lord has ordained us to do it and, uh, you know, that. Uh, I was born to do some of these things. Uh, I also want to say thank you to those who have supported the ministry and who have uh, sent in to help support it. You know, so many times we sit and watch Christian television and we watch some of the ministers that maybe we like or that are feeding us and we uh, think, well, perhaps someone else is supporting that. That's just really not the case in most cases. And uh, we just encourage you that when the Lord stirs your heart, when the Lord speaks to you uh, to respond in financial giving. Uh, we deeply, deeply appreciate it, need it, and are grateful for it. Those of you who've watched us for the last several years know that we have absolutely no gimmicks, no uh, fundraising uh, schemes. All we know how to do is tell you that the need is great for this and that we are trusting that God would lay it on the hearts of people who are being touched by what we're saying to support this kind of a ministry. And uh, do that today and it would be a, a blessing to us and it would help us to reach around the world with the gospel of the kingdom. It is incredible and amazing to me uh, the people that we are touching around the world through the power of a camera, not only via television, but through the web with YouTube and some of the things that we're doing there. It's amazing to me that we've heard from uh, the nations of the earth, from the Netherlands to uh, uh, Nigeria to South Africa to Peru to Canadians. All over the world, people are tuning in, listening to the things that we're saying on YouTube. Uh, by the way, if you uh, missed some of the teachings that we've taught on Revelation, because this is somewhere in the range of 70-some uh, programs that we've taught on the book of Revelation, and that, but, but they are archived and available for you to watch on YouTube and simply go there and watch them, or you can go to iTunes and download our podcast and listen to them on your way to work so that you can get the continuity of the flow over the 70-some weeks that we've taught. And so uh, that is available uh, to you. We are going to begin this week to talk about uh, the 10th and 11th chapters of the book of Revelation, and we are going to talk about the seventh trumpet. Now this is by far probably some of the most difficult uh, stuff that I have uh, uh, shared to date with you on the program and to be able to try to connect all the dots and a 30-minute segment is very difficult. So please be patient with me. And let me say to you, by way of just walking in all humility, uh, that uh, there are uh, 
uh, differing views on some of the things I'm going to share uh, almost among every camp. So uh, what we're going to share is, uh, uh, I believe, uh, a, 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 um, if you will, I'm going to present it to you as uh, we report, you decide. How's that? Uh, it's kind of we will give you the facts. You make the decision uh, whether you believe it or not, because some of the things that we are going to share will probably be very controversial to many of the minds of, the, of uh, folks that are hearing this for the first time. Uh, with that being said, I want to jump into the Word uh, today, and I'm going to open my Bible to the 10th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we're going to begin to read there, and then we're going to come back and talk about some things. But chapter 10, verse 1 says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book that was open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand and swear by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be a time no longer. Now let me say before I move on even reading this that uh, King James says that there would be time no longer, and many assume when we get to this point that he's talking about the end of time. I like how other translations say this, and I believe it's probably more correct to the, uh, uh, to the literal rendering of this when it says no more time will intervene, that there should be any more waiting or delay. So when he's saying time no longer, he's not talking about timelessness because you will see later in the book of Revelation, there are definitely measurements of time. Even as you come into the 11th chapter, there's a 42 month segment. And then you'll see in the book of Revelation where he talks about a thousand year period. In other words, it is not timelessness. It is that there will be no more uh, intervention of time, that there should no longer be any more waiting or delay. So we are coming to the end of a delay of something. And we will get into the details of this in just a moment. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. And the, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations, and tongues, and kings. Now, I'm going to start in here talking simply about this mighty angel with a rainbow upon his head. Now, one of the main things that I want to see is that this is so powerfully connected, I believe, to the rest of the scriptures. And what we want to do is compare spiritual things with spiritual things. 
if you uh, go back to the description, for instance, in uh, Revelation, I believe it is the first chapter, uh, it almost describes him exactly uh, the same way. It declares him to have feet like fine brass. His countenance was as the sun that shined in its strength. Uh, he had... Uh, um, uh, if you will, in the fourth chapter of Revelation, as you continue that thought process in the fourth chapter of Revelation, there was one that sat upon the throne and there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald so that when I would see a mighty angel come down from heaven with a rainbow on his head, that would not to me, uh, thinking in terms, at least spiritual terms, that would not denote the idea to me that this angel has a really pretty hat. What that would say to me is he has a covenantal mentality, or if you will, he's had his head behind door number three in Revelation 4 where he saw uh, the throne room, the most holy place. He saw the kingdom. And so I could say it like this. He has a covenantal or a kingdom mentality, and he is about to declare uh, to all the earth that there will be no more intervention of time, uh, that there should be any more waiting or delay. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God will be finished. And my, and my notes, this is how I actually put it. I, I put it in my notes like this. Sometimes it's easier for me to read some of my notes than it is to uh, just kind of say some of it. But I said, this could be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, for it fits the description of Revelation chapter 1. His face was as the sun, shining in his strength, and his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a fire. He is the messenger of the covenant that Malachi chapter 3 speaks of. And when Malachi chapter 3 spoke uh, uh, of the... Uh, uh, messenger of the covenant, it, it tells you that he would come like refiner's fire and like fuller soap. So this is the judgment, I believe, that is beginning at the house of God, that when Malachi spoke about this, he said, who will abide the day of his coming and who will stand when he appears? Uh, because he's going to be like a fuller soap and like a, a, a refiner's fire. And so the judgment was about to begin literally at the house of God. And we're going to see that in chapter 11 as the temple of God in chapter 11 is about to be trampled underfoot. Now we've already laid out, I believe, in great detail over the last 70 some weeks that this book of Revelation is relevant to the time slot in which it was written. In other words, audience relevance is everything when you start dealing with uh, the ideas of uh, 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 what is happening in the context. If, if, it, if it's not in context, if it is a text out of context, it is probably a con. And uh, you know, what we're simply trying to show you is that they were coming to, in the book of Revelation, they were coming to the end of this period of uh, transition from 30 AD to 70 AD when the temple would ultimately be destroyed. And we're going to see that happen in the next chapter. But what's happening is God has given uh, the apostate people of Israel, the people of, of whom he told them, you killed the prophets and you stoned them that were sent to you. And you also invoked upon you the covenant curses of Deuteronomy when you said their blood be upon us. And uh, Matthew 23 so vividly describes how Jesus said, so that all the blood of, uh, of, the, of the martyrs of the saints from the blood of righteous Abel until the blood of Zacharias would come upon 
that generation. Now, uh, let me also say that, uh, you know, he, he, this mighty angel with a rainbow on his head uh, uh, is to me, again, has a very powerful covenantal mentality. In other words, he is thinking in terms of the fulfillment of the covenant agreements. Uh, I believe as he lifts one hand to swear by him who lives forever that he's about to uh, declare. In other words, one covenant is about to finish and another covenant is about to be inaugurated. You know, I can't help but think even of uh, another place in the book of Ezekiel. I didn't write down the text, but you can go to the book of Revelation. I'm sure it will run you a reference somewhere to the book of Ezekiel where it talks about another uh, almost exact terminology where it talks about a little book that was being opened and uh, uh, several woes that were about to come on uh, the earth and how that there were judgments that would come uh, from this little book being opened you know, in the book of Ezekiel as well as in the book of Revelation. Now, when I think about that, uh, what hits me is, uh, of course, I have consistently showed you, uh, I believe that as we've come through the book of Revelation and the little book that is opened is, uh, uh, I believe, the opening of the new covenant. And you say, well, how come there are judgments uh, that are coming then? Because I believe that the day of the Lord is two-dimensional. You say, what do you mean by that? Uh, if you read the prophet's and especially the prophet Joel, he said the day of the Lord is coming. And he was prophesying, I believe, of this impending judgment that was coming in 70 AD. And he says two, uh, two things about the uh, day of the Lord. He said it is a day of darkness. It is a day of gloominess. It is a day of clouds. It is a day of judgment. So that's one dimension of it. But, so, uh, but the next part, he says, but it's also like the morning spread upon the mountains. And so uh, it is the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, I, depending on where you're at in this whole, uh, in this whole uh, dynamic, if you will, or this whole narrative, whether it is great to you or it is terrible. Uh, for the apostates who are about to receive judgment, it was a terrible day of the Lord. But to those who are about to uh, see the destruction of this whole old covenant system and God give birth to a redemption that was no longer based on the blood of bulls and goats, a fulfillment of a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time, and the last time is not somewhere out in our future. Uh, I mean, up from 30 AD to 70 AD, the believers had received the down payment of their inheritance according to Ephesians chapter 1, but now they were about to declare our redemption is, our, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed because it was a total redemption from the curse of the law. So to the apostates who did not receive their Savior and rejected the blood of the Lamb that should have been put upon the doorpost of their houses, uh, plagues, judgment, wrath, all this is about to come upon them. But to the believers who uh, were receiving, a, they were receiving a kingdom which would never be destroyed. I believe it is powerfully uh, a fulfillment of what the apostle or what the spirit says. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say that absolutely Paul was the writer of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I, many times I say that, but really I, there's no real uh, definitive proof. I received a letter recently that uh, had some pretty convincing argument that it probably was not Paul the Apostle. Nevertheless, it was uh, penned by the Holy Spirit. That's the issue to me is the Holy Spirit was speaking it. But in, in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, uh, he was declaring to them in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that there is a shaking that was about to occur. And he was talking about a shaking that was coming within his generation. And he said that everything that can be shaken is about to be shaken 
and, and that he went on to tell them that our God is a consuming fire and only that which remains is a kingdom which cannot be removed. So uh, there was a coming kingdom that was about to replace an old form of government called the law. That's what this mighty messenger with a rainbow on his head absolutely declares and speaks to me is he is the messenger of the covenant. He is coming like refiner's fire. He is coming like fuller's soap. He is coming to purge the sons of Levi. The judgment that Peter talked about and others, that the judgment was about to begin at the house of God was literally beginning at the house of God because God was going to allow the Romans to tread underfoot for 42 months this temple that we will see in the next chapter of chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. And it is to me one of the most powerful arguments even of the predating of the book of Revelation prior to 70 AD because the internal evidence itself is enough for me to see that the temple was still standing or at least John uh, was aware that the temple was still standing here in the 11th chapter of Revelation. It had not yet been destroyed and the Gentiles had not yet trampled the city underfoot uh, for 42 months. It's amazing to me that the time fits exactly with the siege of Jerusalem under Titus and uh, Nero and Vespasian and uh, uh, some of these Roman generals as they were about to literally come into the city of Jerusalem and they were about to destroy this temple. So in fulfillment of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, when he said, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And uh, he, he went on to say, when they asked him, when will these things be and what will be the sign? He said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you will know that it is near even at the door. I submit to you in this 11th or this 10th chapter of Revelation, when this angel, who is a mighty angel, who is a chief messenger, who is the prince of the angels, I, I believe it is the same angel that is the archangel of the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He is the archangel. He is the chief or the prince of the angels. That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming. And everything that describes him in this first uh, few verses of chapter 10 with his feet like fine brass, his face as though it was as the sun, his head uh, was uh, about like with a rainbow. Uh, uh, I mean, everything about the script description is slow. So, so much like the description of, 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 the, uh, of Jesus in chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Revelation that I don't think it's a stretch at all for us to believe that this is the Lord himself who is descending from heaven, uh, literally, I believe, whose voice sounds like that of, a, of thunder and that which sounds like it is that of a lion. It is the Lord himself descending from heaven with a shout with a war cry, if you will, of a cry of command or a cry of incitement as is declared in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 4. Now one other thing I want to uh, look at is that uh, uh, it uh, it is in fulfillment once again of the uh, judgment that would begin at the house of God. Let me read from my notes so I can get you something else here from the writings of Josephus before we finish this segment. It said, for this is the day that will burn like an oven, Malachi says. It is the one who has been in the throne room, for it is a rainbow round about the throne. This messenger has a covenantal mentality symbolized by the rainbow around his head. It is the one who would come in the cloud to establish his kingdom. This could also be connected to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, where the high priest would come out from behind the veil and appear 
the second time without sin under salvation. I want to go over there and look at that just for a moment. Uh, it, is, uh, it, it is in fulfillment of the words of Jesus to Caiaphas. When G Caiaphas was, had Jesus before him in judgment, the high priest, uh, the words of Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, when he said, and from henceforth, he looks directly at Caiaphas and he said, from henceforth, you will see the Son of Man. He's talking to Caiaphas and he's declaring to Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. Caiaphas would have known that the glory cloud had to come from the mercy seat. To the apostate Jews, he was coming in judgment and was about to destroy their temple in Revelation chapter 11. Judgment was beginning at the house of God. To the believers, he was announcing that their redemption was drawing nigh and he was fulfilling the scripture that says, there's a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time according to Ephesians 1. We have received the earnest of our inheritance, but now he was about to deliver a once for all faith to the saints. The way into the holiest was not yet available while the first temple still stood. So the temple has to be dismantled so that the way into the holiest uh, uh, could be made because while the first temple stood, there was not a way made into the holiest uh, while the first temple stood. Therefore, uh, he was about to allow the old temple to be destroyed and then move into a spiritual house. One temple was being destroyed. God was moving into another temple. Therefore, he was about to allow the old temple to be destroyed and then move into a spiritual house. He is about to execute the constitution of the kingdom, which is in the new covenant, typified by the little book in his right hand that was open. His coming being like uh, like uh, uh, the uh, it was his coming being like and under the lightning that shines from east to the west could have been the sounds of the bells and the pomegranates of the high priest's garment that were in the writings of Josephus called lightnings and thunders. This to me was incredible when I was reading recently, <coughs> excuse me, the writings of Josephus. This is from a, a direct quote from uh, the writings of jo Josephus. It says, the high priest did also go up with them, not always indeed, but on the seventh days and the new moons, and, in, in, and if any festivals belonging to our nation, which we celebrate every year, happened. When he officiated, he had on a pair of breeches that reached beneath his privy parts to his thighs, and he had on, and had on an inner garment of linen together with, with a blue garment round uh, without seam with fringe work and reaching to the feet. There were also, this is what I want you to see, there were also golden bells that hung upon the fringes and pomegranates intermixed among them. The bells signified thunder and the pomegranates signified lightning. Now that's from the writings of Josephus. So he is declaring that the movement of the priest when he would go into the most holy place on the fringe of his garment, uh, there was bells and pomegranates and the bells signified thunder and lightnings or, or the, the, uh, the, 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 the bells, let me look, the golden bells that hung upon the fringes and the pomegranates intermixed among them. The bells signified thunder and the pomegranates lightning. Thus, you could have the sound of the thunder that was coming in the movement of this high priest as he moved about into the most holy place. I, I call it the message 
the movement and the manifestation of the most holy place. And I could really rear back and preach about the woman that wanted to touch the hem of his garment, but I don't have enough time to get into that in this segment. I do, however, want to look at this in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Here's my favorite end of the world scripture. It says, but now once in the end of the world, this word is literally aged, but now once in the end of the world or age, hath, this is past tense, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the end of the world or the end of the age, according to Hebrews 9, 26, is not in our future. It was when Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and appeared in the most holy place to offer his own blood on the mercy seat. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now I submit to you that Jesus went into the holy place, is now appearing in the presence of God for us as the present high priest. And when he did that, he went in there to, uh, uh, to appear before the presence of God for us. Now, what we do with this second coming is we put this somewhere out in our future. But if this second appearing of Christ here in Hebrews chapter 9 is in our future, we are still in our sin. I submit to you that this is the, none other than the coming of Jesus in judgment as he entered into the most holy place of by the blood of others in chapter 10 of the book of Revelation. This is him coming back out to announce to the believers, your sin has been put away because the appointment you had with death has been fully met by Christ. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him, he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This is not some way out distant coming of the Lord. This occurred right here in this period of time when he did this by the sacrifice of himself once at the end of that age. This is the same time slot. This is the same mighty angel. This is the same appearing. This is the same sacrifice. If this did not occur historically already, we are still in our sin. I I submit to you that the sound of the thunder and his coming from the lightning to the, from the east to the west is him going into the most holy place and the bells and the pomegranates of that high priest uh, that would ring would be called lightnings and thunders, that his coming was the lightning that shined from the east all the way to the west. It was him coming back out to announce to a world, your redemption is complete and delivered to us a salvation that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We're out of time. I trust that made some kind of sense to you. Keep tuning in. We're going to keep unpacking it. Take a moment to call that number on the screen uh, and don't wait for somebody else to do it, but, but obey God today in your giving and we will appreciate it. It will help us take the gospel of the kingdom around the world as we continue to preach what the Lord is laying on our hearts to do. Tune in again next week. Tell your friends about us. God bless you is our prayer for you this week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.